Welcome to the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, a podcast on all things the Marvel and the Pangirl Zone. I'm Mischievous Dave, obviously. And I'm Steve, and today we're talking about episode three of season one of Moon Knight, titled The Friendly Type. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was a lot of friends in uh, Cairo there. <laughs> People were wondering what what the title meant. Did you get it? No, I don't. I, I don't get it either. <laughs> no, <laughs> made no sense to me at all. The episode was written by Bo DeMaio, Peter Cameron, and Sabir Perzada, and directed by Mohammed Diab. I think he directs them all. Most of them. Most of them. Oh, he doesn't get them all. Okay. No. Well, I, I like his musical sensibilities. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, what you think? What's your initial reaction? I enjoyed it a lot. This was a fun episode. We get a lot more action than in normal in the previous episode. So that was always a plus. And it don't look good for Kanshu. <laughs> no. Reminds me of an old ELO song, Turn to Stone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I guess I didn't quite like it as much as, as you did, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know we're not rating it, but if we did, I'd give it three out of five little scarabs. I mean, it was okay. Not right. I, I just don't think it was as strong as the previous two. Actually, the second episode was my favorite. Right. Then I rate uh, number one as my number one episode as number two, and this one's number three. Yeah, three out of five little scarabs. She's cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's um... – we miss you, Sean. Uh, she's been voluntold the last couple of weeks <laughs> to uh, work on Saturday. So hopefully uh, next weekend we'll get Sean back. And That's wreaking havoc on our number one fan, Fred. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the recap for this episode with Mark in the forefront and Haro ahead. Mark and Layla navigate Cairo for intel. Yeah. Uh. I want to take a uh, taxi ride up the Nile. That looks like fun. Oh, yeah. As long as you don't, as long as you don't uh, go to Blofeld Secret Headquarters or something yeah. like that. <laughs> so speaking of little scarabs, Layla meets with a family friend and forger to procure a new Egyptian passport. She doesn't understand what her estranged husband is doing. She just knows he'll get himself killed running around Cairo, her home that she hasn't been in 10 years. A lot of speculation about that. Why not? I, I would imagine it's because she's, you know, Stealing things and keeping things. Yes. <laughs> the antiquities dealer. And she can't, I, I don't know why she can't get a uh, passport unless she's internationally known as a thief, you know? That's possible. I guess. Uh, anybody that goes. Did you what? think that this was actually her mother? I did. No. No. You no. didn't? Huh? No. No. With talk of her father and. Zero affection then. Didn't tell her to be careful or touch her hand or anything. No. No. <laughs> No, nope, I know some people were talking about that, but I, I, I don't think so at all. No, nope, just a family friend. Uh, maybe your gonna make it... sister, maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, there's no affection there either. All right. I mean, if if they were related, I think she might call her a little scarab is, if that's what she was known as. But she uh, she didn't refer to her as her little scarab or a little scarab, just no. that the, the memory was. Her that, yeah. Yeah, dad called her that. Anyway, uh the antiquities dealer isn't worried about all the bridges she burned after she bounced from her homeland. Besides, she didn't steal all those stolen relics and antiques. They were already stolen. Yeah. I'm going to use that excuse. Yeah. I'm gonna, I am gonna. didn't drink your beer. <laughs> <laughs> She's taking him off the black market and returning him to the rightful owners. Who can blame 
who can blame for her for keeping a few to pay the bills? We well, can't keep them either. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to pay the bills. She has to sell them herself. Yes. <laughs> she, doesn't even get to, she doesn't have her own personal museum replete with uh, glass uh, pyramids. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that we still don't get a full picture of who she actually is. Yeah. We get a few tantalizing clues about where her, her world travels have taken her. And yes. Make is, her part of the larger MCU. Oh, absolutely. Even though she's not com- – well, she's comics inspired, but she's not in the comics. Right. Hmm. Renamed her <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Harrow and his disciples are using the Golden Scarab to find Amit's tomb in the desert. Now, Bobby warns Harrow that Mark Spector is in Cairo tracking them. But Harrow isn't worried because Emmet is here. Elsewhere, Mark, following a lead to Harrow's digging crew, runs over several rooftops above the city. However, his lead is fatally stabbed by a group of Harrow's followers right in front of him. They all wear the sigil of Emmet on their wrists. He fights them out his Moon Knight armor, which was interesting. Yeah, good fighter. As Mark holds a blade to one of their necks, he spots Steven in the reflection of the blade who pleads with him not to hurt them. Suddenly, Mark yeah. bl- <laughs> <laughs> Even Steven should know. I mean, he's not a fighter. He's a lover. <laughs> he's not that either. No. <laughs> but uh, you got to pick your moment, Steven. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly, Mark blacks out and reawakens in a cab, learning that he's on his, on the way to the airport. Jumping out of the cab as he spots the men he was sparring. Mark pursues them through a crowded bazaar. He blacks out once more and Mark reawakens in a deserted area of town as he plunges a dagger into one of the assailants. Yikes. Yeah, assessing the situation, (laughs) three dead acolytes and the inability to account for what just transpired, Mark blames Stephen for the whole ordeal. Now, was that really Stephen? I'm thinking not. I'm thinking not. Yeah. Of course, Stephen Incredulous tells Mark to direct the bitter roll towards that stupid pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Without any other options to locate Harrow's digging crew, Mark questions Khonshu if any of the other gods will intervene to stop Harrow from releasing a Met. Khonshu remarks to the court their attention is to risk their wrath. In other words, he might be turned into stone. <laughs> So he's not on good terms with the Hene. I guess not. I guess not. And especially after he tells, you know, the one kid, the youngest one of the three actually is still alive when Mark regains consciousness here. Yeah, I know. What a moment. Khonshu says, hang him over the ledge. (laughs) That'll get him to talk. That's that's what pigeons do. Yeah. And not only no, but hell no, because the kid just cuts the thing that they're holding the him by and yeah. all the way down. And Concha goes, well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was a little surprised, too, but I guess Concha expects everyone to fly like a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. My bad. So with the uh, – oh, that's our first – I know. We got hints before there, quite possibly a third character, but this was pretty solid right yeah, here. This was if, the, uh, the solidest one. That's yeah, for so sure. – I've heard some speculation it could be Jake Lockley, who's yep. the uh, cab driver, but I, I didn't know he was so bloodthirsty. I, not in the comics, he wasn't. Right. And so, some people were saying Bushwhacker huh. was somehow. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he was in the comics and part of that, uh, the murder of the archaeologists. Right. You know, that, but how would he get inside? 
<laughs> yeah, large brain. You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't see the connection there. But hey, comic inspired anything can happen. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so with the reala- realization of Mark is right, Kanchu sends the other gods a signal they can't ignore. In broad daylight, Kanchu uses his power to trigger a sudden eclipse all over Cairo. Mark remarks that the display was a touch over the top. Kanchu urges Mark to hurry as the avatars are being gathered. Despite being gathered all over the world, scattered all over the world, the Aeneid is able to conjure a portal for the congregation wherever they wish, to whom, uh, to whomever they wish, too. Yeah, kind of cool. They don't need transporters or doors like on... Star Trek Discovery. It's right. Open door. <laughs> Kanchu warns Mark that at the last meeting, the gods, he was banished. So Mark's case against Harrow must be indisputable. Ugh. That didn't He's, work out too well. No. <laughs> Surreal tunnel appears out of nowhere. Mark enters the chambers of the gods. Mark spots his reflection on the stone wall as Stephen is astonished to be in the Great Pyramids of Giza. Check off one item on Stephen's bucket list. He was thrilled. <laughs> yeah, like he, was. he was. He was oh, in Disneyland. <laughs> Mark meets Yatzil, the avatar of Hathor, who comments that Kanchu's theatrics are unparalleled. <laughs> Take a bow, Kanchu. Yes, no doubt. <laughs> the, yeah, the council begins as the god take over the avatar's bodies. In attendance are Horus, Isis, Tepnut, Osiris, and Hathor. I'd rather see them for real. <laughs> than right, their yeah, instead of their avatar. <laughs> we get a little, yeah. <laughs> just like we see Pigeon Guy. Yeah. And they will hear the account of Kanchu. Osiris speaking through his avatar Selim warns Kanshu that he was banished once before nearly exposing their existence. However, they will imprison him in stone the next time he puts on a garish display of the night sky. What do they care? <laughs> <laughs> They're hidden. Yeah, Kanshu, very well, too. Yeah. Kanshu rebukes their statement saying he was banished because he refused to abandon humanity like the rest of them. Kanshu warns that they'll lose this realm if they don't take action. Kanchu, speaking through Mark, presents his purpose. He calls upon the judgment of Arthur Harrow for a conspiracy to liberate the deity Amit. You think that would set off alarm bells for them? You know, if it has an ounce of, you know, possibility. Right. And with Harrow in Egypt anyway, you would think that that would be enough to at least it, raise some doubt. Yeah. I guess they love their overboy too much. They can't be bothered. Right. <laughs> just like, must, maybe they have their own version of 10 Ford on there. They just to hang out with. Yes. Uh. <laughs> their own hologram. <laughs> right. Well, the Nade invites Arthur Harrow to the Chamber of the Gods. Getting his bearings, the calculating zealot asks his old master, Kanshu, what is the nature of this meeting? Haro explains to the Ned that Kanshu's been searching for Amet's tomb since his own service to the god. He deems Kanshu's vision obscured by jealousy and paranoia and that they cannot trust the words of an unhinged god who selected an unwell servant. Haro reveals to the gods that this avatar does not even know his own name. He has a marriage certificate under the name Mark Spector, but employment records under the name Stephen Grant. He's even witnessed the Avatar threaten himself. Who knows how many personalities he possesses. Mm-hmm. Solidifying his case, Haro states that Kanchu is taking advantage of a deeply troubled man. The same way Kanchu abused him and the way he conspires to abuse this court. This guy should be a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> Haro implores, implores the gods to take action against Kanchu. Speaking directly to Mark, Horus's avatar asks if he's unwell. Realizing the situation at hand, Mark considers and replies that yes, he needs help, but that he's not on trial, Haro is. Mark pleads with them that Haro is a dangerous man, 
However, the gods deem the matter concluded as they state Haro has committed no offense. And by the time he does, it'll be too late. Yeah. The gods and their avatars exit the chamber, as does Haro. Yatsel calls to Mark to speak privately in a chamber tunnel. There's another way to prove his case. The mitt was buried in secret in a location hidden from even the gods. She urges Mark to find a Medjay named Sinfu, who was tasked with recording the location of the tomb. Find Sinfu's sarcophagus and you'll find your tomb. But, of course, the sarcophagus was stolen and sold on the black market. <laughs> that shouldn't present a problem. Nah. Piece of cake. So, so when you're summoned by the gods, like Arthur Harrell was, you, you know enough to leave your magic cane behind? Why don't they just, like, zap him and they're like, hey, what are you doing with that? Right. Because he knows well enough not to have the cane on him or something like that? How do you I know? I think so. Oh, boy, that's snake. part of Amit's power. So, yeah. Yeah. As soon as that portal opened, he goes, here, hold this. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, can, can you trust somebody to hold it? <laughs> oh, wow. boy, I'm going to make my, summon my own monster. These guys aren't moving fast enough. So in a crowd of bizarre, Mark approaches a street vendor inquiring about Senpu's sarcophagus. The vendor backs away slowly from Mark as Layla appears from behind him. No one will talk to Mark because he's not Egyptian. Mark states that she shouldn't even be here. Layla dismisses a small amount of people she may have pissed off. She'll help him find what he needs. Layla and Mark take a Faluka boat to the residence of Anton Mogart. During the travels up the river, Layla tells Mark she's not there for him. She's not there for him. She's here for herself and for those who will die of how it succeeds. Oh, I don't believe her. <laughs> <laughs> As the locals dance on the Faluka, Mark reflects how all the sounds and music remind him of their wedding. Instead of opening up to Layla, Mark pushes her away once more, frustrating her with another rebuff. Dummy. Yeah. <laughs> Arriving at Mogart's mansion, Layla is happy to see her former associate, Beck, who tells her Mogart is also happy to reconnect with her. After Madripoor, they have a lot to catch up on. Say oh. what? <laughs> yeah. Mogart you wants know. to hear from <laughs> Layla's husband, Rufino Estrada, for the nature of their visit and their keen interest in Sinfu. Layla begs Mark to let Stephen take control, but Mark refuses. Maybe he should have listened. Maybe. Observing Senfu's sarcophagus, Layla can't find any indications of any location on the markings of the sarcophagus. Looking at his reflection, Stephen tells Mark that's because they have to unlock the coded messages hidden within its literature. Mark tells Layla to keep Beck and Mogart occupied as he talks to Stephen. Stephen guides Mark to fold the cartonage. With the sarcoph within the sarcophagus, with its pieces. I was going to say cartonish. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably not right either. No. Cartouche. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's <not> either. <laughs> with his pieces lined up, Mark sees a star chart. However, Mogart's men turn on Mark and Layla for tampering with the sarcophagus. A disappointed Mogart tells Layla he was ready to make peace with her, but not anymore. Before a brawl ensues, Beck informs Mogart a concerned third party has arrived. Of course he has. Artho, Arthur Harrow. Must have been in town. Yeah. He's <laughs> definitely got spies watching Mark and Layla like hawks. Yeah. So Harrow tells Mogart he has a better tangible offer than what Layla and Mark can offer, revealing the golden scarab. Why settle for a clue when you can have the treasure? Layla pleads with Anton to trust her. He rebukes her, saying she has no legs to stand on when discussing trust. 
Diffusing the situation, Harrow says each one of them has more in common than they know. Addressing Layla, Harrow tells her distance won't prevent the wounds of her father's murder from reopening. This guy he <laughs> finds a weakness in everybody. Oh, he sure does. He knows. He adds that her a lot buttons. To yeah, yeah. He adds that her husband doesn't tell her the truth. Then addressing Mark, Harold tells him he doesn't share the truth with her because he's afraid she'll see him the way he sees himself, unworthy of love. Oh, brother. <laughs> Maybe that's true. Yep. Now, now addressing Mogard, Harold lifts his cane as it glows with a, a sliver of Ahmed's power, offering proof that these relics are real. Oh, sure. Now he's got the cane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking an incantation, Harrow demonstrates his power as a burst of invisible energy destroys the sarcophagus. That was a surprise. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm sure nobody else can find it. I guess. Kanchu tells Mark to summon the suit as he descends upon Mogart's men while wearing the healing ceremonial Moon Knight armor. Mark buys Layla sometimes as she recovers as many pieces of the cartonage from the destroyed sarcophagus as she can. In the melee, Stephen is Mr. Knight's attire, forces Mark to relinquish control in order to stop the violence. Stephen, Stephen. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> so uh, when they, when he blasted the sarcophagus, I thought everything was gone. But there she is picking the, the pieces out. So he destroyed the body, but not the, the right. map. Yeah. Huh. Near miss. Yeah. So as a result, Mr. Knight is overwhelmed by Mogart's men as he's impaled by several riders' poles. Wow. I know. That didn't work out, Stevie. No. <laughs> Stephen, Stephen with a V. Unable to understand the assault, withstand the assault, Moon Knight takes control of the body again. Layla rushes to his aid. However, she's attacked by Mogart. Witnessing this, Mark gets a second gust of energy so he can rush over to Layla to pull her away from being trampled by Mogart and his horse. Pretty awesome scene. Yes, it was. I wish they hadn't spoiled some of that in the... Uh, Teasers before the season started because I, I would that would I would have gone wow right <laughs> see some of that stuff for the first time I love that the crescent cape flying yes. through the air yeah yeah really looked a little Batmanish that's for sure yeah yeah <laughs> well they've been compared and it's before bulletproof too so <laughs> yeah leaving Mogart's grounds Layla and Mark make their way towards the desert in search for some stars Layla questions Mark on what Haro was talking about. What did she have a right to know? Mark dismisses it as Haro's mind games trying to divide them. Exasperated with his never-ending secrets, Layla reveals she's made to feel like she never knew Mark at all. Ending the conversation, Mark flatly states, you don't, upsetting her even more. If they continue to drive in silence, they don't pick up a, on another vehicle tailing them. How could you not? You're in the desert. I know. I know. <laughs> as soon as they turn on the lights, you can see it forever. Yeah. At the edge. Should have used a magic carpet. Yeah, must have. At the edge of the desert, Mark and Layla exit their vehicle, trying to piece together the scraps of the cartonage from the sarcophagus. Frustrated with their inability to make sense of the salvaged cartonage, Layla tells Mark that they need Stephen. Irritated even further, he collects the cartonage and rips off the car's side mirror as he heads off in the desert alone. <laughs> what a drama queen. Yes. You can do that. <laughs> On the, you know, all that light back there on the truck, you know? Yeah. Relinquishing control of the body to his altar, Stephen sits in the sand and allows his brilliant mind to be put to work, typing the cartonage back together. Stephen admires how the ancient Egyptians invented modern navigation using the sun and stars, impressing Layla with his knowledge and passion. Using the star map, Layla and Stephen determine that they can triangulate the constellations into ground coordinates. 
However, Stephen addresses a minor hiccup. It's not that simple because stars have drifted over the past 2,000 years, so they won't be able to locate the precise location of Sinfu's tomb. I think I, with somebody online said, you know, they have apps on your phone that can do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. O- overhearing Layla and Stephen, a contemplative Conchu looks to the moon, revealing he remembers the specific night in question, and he can turn back the night sky. Understanding the cause, Kanchu reminds Stephen to stop Amit no matter what it takes and tell Mark to free him when the other gods imprison him for this very act. Suddenly, Stephen is enveloped in his Mr. Knight suit as the god and his avatar reach towards the moon. So they both got a little star moment there. Yes. <clears throat> the starscape suddenly changes as thousands of Egyptian knights cycle across a large canvas of an ever-changing stars. Elsewhere, noticing the impressive star display flashing across the sky, Harold feels nothing but pity for Kanchu's desperation. While at the chamber of the gods, the Aeneid begins the process of imprisoning Kanchu for his violation of the sky. Joining the hands, the avatars chant as a cube of stone lies in the center of their circle. As Layla locks the coordinates, Kanchu's grip on the night sky loosens as he is bound and pulled into the Uspati carved in the cube of the stone within the chamber. With Kanchu fully imprisoned and the night sky back to normal, Stephen's healing Mr. Night Armor disappears with the weight of their monumental act, knocking him out cold. Yeah, now that was an awesome scene watching the night sky just go back. Yeah, yeah, that's freaking everybody out in Cairo. Yes, it was. Unless <laughs> <laughs> they're used to stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. In the Chamber of the Gods, Arthur Harrow privately speaks with Selim, the avatar of Os- Osiris, who confirms Haro's previous assessment of Khonshu. The God of the Moon left the Ened with no choice other than to tether him to this chamber into his own Ushbadi prison. Believing that Khonshu can hear him, Haro requests to speak directly to the God alone. Approaching Khonshu's Ushbadi, Haro confesses he enjoyed dealing out pain on his behalf, the greatest sin he carries. Which, if Amadi is Amit is judgmental like that, shouldn't she take Haro out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. He reveals his gratitude for Kanshu's breaking of his spirit as he can now achieve what Kanshu could not. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> so there's more speculation from this. Uh, I, I there was one podcast I listened to. Oh, a Slash Film Daily. They they've had five of those. Uh, five four of the teaser dvds so they've seen the first four of the episode and they were saying on their podcast that uh number four is really good so in case you're worried about that it was a little wheel spinning in episode three which i thought um don't worry (laughs) (laughs) but uh and i was talking to the people down at the comic book shop and they were saying how they think that episode four might see some flashbacks though oh okay I wonder if it's flashbacks to uh, Haro's time as the avatar of Kanchu. I kind of hope not. Right. But, you know, if it's done well and as good as the as it's been hinted at, then, then maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Would you rather see a flashback? flashback? Because now with Moon Knight doesn't have any power, by the way. Right? Kanchu's in stone. I would think so. Yeah, they, they're powerless right now. And yeah. Fortunately, Layla got the coordinates, but they're going to have to battle Haro and all his... All those guys, yeah. With no power, so how the hell are they going to pull this off? <laughs> <laughs> they better, they better hope they those guys have the same aim as uh, Star Wars stormtrooper and yes. can't get the of a barn. <laughs> so, are you ready for some Easter eggs, there, Steve? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, uh, Moon Knight episode three opens and closes with "Enta" by DJ Kabu. 
The song's But When He's Beak sample, uh, sample can, however, also be heard when Mark Spencer wakes up in an Egyptian taxi heading for the nearest airport, courtesy of a presumably very frightened Stephen Grant. Yeah. <laughs> you would run to the first taxi and let's get out of here. Yes. <laughs> it's a pretty neat touch that will have viewers humming the tune for the rest of the day. I, I did. I think I mentioned earlier, I like the uh, musical score. It's pretty good. Yes. So uh, Moon Knight hasn't been shy. I've been setting up a third altar in addition to Stephen Grant and Mark Spector, who asked Stephen's museum colleague on that date. I thought it was Mark, but you never know. Maybe Jake Lockley's got something going for him. Yep. <laughs> What what happened to the one-finned wonder? That's meaning the fish. Who yes. was drinking drinking topless at the end of Moon Knight Episode 2? All signs point, point toward Jake Lockley as a potential third alternate identity. In Marvel comic lore, Lockley is a grizzled private detective and exactly the same type of man who beat up criminals for information. Yeah, but not kill him. This guy's right. pretty bloodthirsty. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's often compared to Matches Malone. Matches Malone is a street character that uh, – Batman uses right when he does when he doesn't want to be Bruce Wayne he doesn't want to be Batman he's matches Malone now in I episode see Jake Lockley maybe being the one that managed to get the date for Stephen <laughs> yeah sure yeah and I'll get toss you a bone dude yeah in episode three neither Stephen or Mark recall uh, blooding the runway runway thugs and chasing them up up that cliff a subtle Moon Knight Easter egg teasing Jack Lockley's incoming debut. So, and also, uh, that meeting scene of the Aeneid borrows from Marvel Comics, the Kanchu ignites his moon signal, bad signal, to summon the Egyptian Aeneid, leading to a rapid congregation inside the Great Pyramid of Giza, which Mark Spector is invited to attend via portal. Although creative liberties are taken here, Moon Knight's Aeneid is a Marvel Easter egg drawn directly from the comics. The original Egyptian supergroup existed within a pocket dimension, but would travel to our mortal realm via a portal, albeit one more akin to Asgard's Bifrost Bridge than in the uh, Diagon Alley, shifting wall glimpsed in Moon Knight. The exit door of the portal was indeed closed to, to the Great Pyramid of Giza. Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure all that was pretty cool, but I'm sure it was all digital effects. Not oh, any practical absolutely. Stuff. absolutely. Yeah, too bad. That'd yeah. be too bad because that's so cool. <laughs> so Conchu's meeting with Aeneid didn't go quite to plan as almost every Egyptian god refuses his cause, falling to Arthur Harrell's cultish charms instead. Fools. Yes. The only exception uh, is Yatsil, the avatar to Hathor, the goddess of music and love. Apparently harboring a soft spot for poor pigeon guy. Yeah. <laughs> Conchu. Arthur's avatar leads Mark helpfully toward Amit's tomb. Curious, however, is how Hathor connects directly to Black Panther. In the Marvel Comics, Hathor, or Hathor Sekhmet, takes a feline appearance and is a sibling of Wakanda's panther god, Bast, as is Conchu himself. Hathor Sekhmet ultimately assumes the mantle of Lion God in Wakanda, becoming the enemy of the Black Panther. Bass featured in 2018's Black Panther movie, while T'Challa already mentioned Sekhmet in Captain America's Civil War. Now, Moon Knight Episode 3 now debuts that character in full, potentially setting up a future role in the Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That'd be cool. Yes, it would. Aside from Hathor, Moon Knight Episode 3 also introduces Horus, Osiris, Isis, and Tufnut to the MCU. And all four Egyptian figures represent 
in, are represented in Marvel comic mythology. First, each of the Divine Quartet holds membership to the Cosmic Aeneid, but some have ventured into a wider continuity, too. Isis, Horus, and Osiris, for example, all team up with Thor during his 1975 run. So go back to your store and buy those comics. I'm sure they're cheap by now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Considering their connection to the god of thunder and bearing in mind Thor in Love and Thunder features a villain who calls himself God Butcher, Aeneid's MCU stint may be a short one. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Addressing the, his fellow gods, Kanshu implores them to return from the opulence of the overvoid before you lose this realm. Thought that was a fair warning. Yes. This Moon Knight Easter egg reveals how the Egyptian gods currently dwell within some manner of a pocket dimension. And the same is true of Marvel's comic book Aeneid, which reside in this celestial heliopolis. If Egypt's MCU gods truly are interdimensional, I love that word, <laughs> beings interpreted as deities by mankind that brings them in line with the already established gods of Asgard, Marvel's celestial heliopolis is also known by the term the overvoid, confirming the place Kanchu mentions in, in our live action version of that same dimension. Oh, God, what was that TV show? I used to watch it. This guy was nuts, too. And he would take <laughs> <laughs> he would he would take himself to a pocket dimension. I'll think of it. Yatso points uh, Mark Spector towards Senfu's sarcophagus, which supposedly contains the location of Amit's tomb. Senfu would be inspired by the real-life pharaoh Senfuru, who built a number of ancient Egyptian pyramids. Senfuru's connection to architecture may explain why Senfu in particular – it was trusted with hiding Amit's tomb in Moon Knight's fictional retelling of history. So by this point, uh, Moon has left no doubt that Oscar Isaac portrays at least one more alter, an identity who appears even tougher and more aggressive than Mark Spector, if that's possible. How is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so when Mark begins talking in a blink New York accent during he and Layla's Cairo reunion, something smells suspicious. Not only does Isaac's accent audibly change, but the actor is pulling down his mouth into a Don Corleone-style grimace. Well, that's who he is. He's a godfather. Yeah. <laughs> This this scene sits in isolation, so it's feasible that Jake Lockley actually assumed control off screen before his street sequence, then reverted back to Mark ahead of the boat ride. And this guy does have issues. Yes, <laughs> poor Mark. And our our new buddy Beck, did he die? Did he get killed in that in the show? I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think the, I don't think Mogart is dead either. No, He's, I don't. He either. rode off. Yeah, Beck may be inspired by a Moon Knight comic villain. Loak Manbaza plays Beck, the bodyguard and henchman for Anton Mogart. Previously, we've seen Moon Knight borrow names from the comic lore for its various supporting characters in the Disney MCU. Uh, Donna, Crawley, Bobby, Billy, etc. Beck might constitute a Moon Knight Easter egg referring to Koresh Beck, a minor villain from 1982's Moon Knight number 18. There they go, reaching deep again. Yep. So before Beck brings Mark Spector and Layla to the man they are seeking an audience with, he mentions to an unsuccessful prior meeting in Madripoor. Oh, it's a small world. Derived from the Marvel comics, Madripoor made its MCU debut courtesy of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, presented as a lawless hive of criminality known to the folks like Baron Zemo and Sharon Carter. That's true. <laughs> yes, I know. I was just going to say that. Remember that sort, Steve. <laughs> Apparently, Moon Knight's Layla had unfavorable dealings with Mogart in the same city, which makes sense given their shared fondness for priceless stone and artifacts. If Moon Knight is Marvel's Batman, Anton Mogart could be the Joker, and Mark Spector himself can't resist making the point with a little this Joker vibe. 
That was a good one. Yeah. Played by played by the late Gaspard Ulil. Um, Mogart is perhaps better known as Marvel Comics alias Midnight Man, a skilled art thief who swears revenge against Moon Knight after the uh, cloaked vigilante leaves him disfigured. <laughs> Somebody made a joke that uh, if you're a master thief and you call yourself Midnight Man because he only steals at midnight, aren't you kind of giving away? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yourself? Just stay here at midnight. <laughs> the Mo, uh, Moon Knight Episode 3 doesn't provide any suggestion that the MCU's Anton Mogart has become a costume supervillain. Mark's robe comet could be a cute nod to Midnight Man's flowing costume. When Conchu is later standing atop a clock taunting Mark with TikTok, notice also how the, the time is midnight, referencing Mogart's comic book altars. Well, that's where he went, Steve. He, did, he didn't just leave. He just went to a, go do a job. Right. I got to go. It's midnight. Yep. <laughs> so we get a little uh, – more information about Layla's backstory. Uh, Moon Knight Episode 3 lays the ground for a major reveal about Layla's past. The opening passport forgery scene confirms Layla's father died during one of his archaeological digs expeditions. Layla herself would often be present for it. During their later confrontation with Arthur Harrow, the villain suggests Mark Spector knows something about that fateful tragedy. And the prickly response Layla receives upon questioning her husband proves Harrow has, was bang on the money. Yeah, there's certain things Mark doesn't want to give up. He could have guilt by association, perhaps. Yes. In the Marvel comic books, Marilyn, Marlene Alron, who Moon Knight's Layla is based upon, met Mark Spector when he attacked a dig site alongside a band of fellow mercenaries. Layla's father was killed in the assault, but Mark stepped in to protect the archaeologist's daughter. Moon Knight is clearly adapting this origin about Mark. But is Mark the guilty party, or did Jake Lockley kill Layla's Papa Scarab? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think I'd like to see either. Right. Yeah, it's got to be Bushman that killed her dad. Yeah, Bushman or Bushwhacker, what is yeah, it? I think it's her probably. Okay, that's kind of a lame name, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he doesn't give, out, uh, give away where he is every midnight. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Stephen Grant's cuts at MCU F-bomb. The MCU has a long history of F-bomb. Peter Parker, Aunt May, Nick Fury, Groot. How can you tell? <laughs> yeah. And many others have all come perilously close to effing, and Stephen Grant now joins the prestigious club. In a hilarious attempt to disfuse a brutal fight between the hardened criminals, Stephen suggests would everyone just chill the F out as he was taken down two drunks at Lord Antwerp's arms. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Chill the F out. Hard to take Steven seriously with that funny accent and voice he has. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the weakest of the altars, but he's probably also the smartest. So you got to let yep. it out. Everybody <laughs> has their talents. Becomes uh, an issue with the Egyptian past. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you use for your podcasts with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are plenty of other Marvel podcasts out there, but none, none as fun as ours. Yes. <laughs> Tell your friends that I hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. Which you can find over at www.fangirlzone.com. As well as our contact link page, which will give you all the various ways you can contact each of us. For this episode of the Marvelous Post Blip Podcast, I'm Steve. Let's and I'm mischievous. chill the <laughs> out and talk for a second. Yeah.
Like, like you, Dave. Shut up so Steve can finish his line. <laughs> so, as we mentioned earlier, Layla has no legs to stand on. You know why? I'll tell you. Nice. <laughs> yeah, very nice. There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the fangirl zone. (laughs) 